holy smokes, it's hot. So usually I sweat like a pig up here in March. I'll see how today goes. (laughs) See how it goes. Uh, Anyway, if you'd go ahead and open up your Bible, uh, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1 uh, this morning. So 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, And this morning uh, is the first Sunday of the month. It's typically where we gather uh, to take, partake of the Lord's table together. It's the Sunday where every Sunday we we preach a sermon, all of our songs, centered on the person of Jesus, centered on the gospel, but specifically on Communion Sunday of all the Sundays is the day that we come together to just explore the gospel of Jesus, to thank, be thankful for his death. So I thought we'd go into 1 Peter chapter 1 this morning, and I'm going to go ahead and read some verses. So we'll start in verse 3. Peter writes this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It's kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him, and though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation... The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven Things into which angels long to look. Amen? And some powerful words. Uh, I think at this church, we've probably been inside this passage at least half a dozen times over the last couple years. It's a beautiful passage. Verses 3 through 12 of 1 Peter lay out all that is ours in the gospel. I love it. It brings up the term blessed hope, a living hope. We, we've talked about that, but here's what happens in 1 Peter chapter 1. We, we tend to want all of the encouragement of 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. We want to receive all that encouragement. We want to receive this. We want to know about this living hope. We want to know about this inheritance, this imperishable, undefiled, and unfading hope that's kept in heaven for us. And we never get to verse 13. Here's what happens. We see verses 3 through 12 are a beautiful testament of all that is ours in the gospel of Jesus. So encouraging, so rich, so beautiful. We want all of that encouragement 
And more often than not, we do not want the imperatives of verses 13 through 21. So let's go on now. This is going to be our text this morning, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 21. Peter writes, in, in light of verses 1 through 12, in light of all that is ours in the gospel, Peter writes this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on Him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Some strong words come out of 1 Peter chapter 1, and I think it ties in perfectly with what we celebrate this morning in communion, what we celebrate in the gospel this morning. As we examine ourselves, as we partake of the, the blood of the covenant and the breaking of Jesus' body, may these words strike us hard to say, here's the proper response, that our lives would be lives that were lived worthy of the gospel of Jesus. That's what verses 3 through 21 are all about. So let's go ahead and explore that here. Peter, he starts right out in verse 13. He says, therefore, therefore, it's implying because of, because of all that is yours in the gospel, because of all that is yours in the gospel of Jesus, friends, because we have a blessed hope, because we have an inheritance, because it's unfading, it's imperishable, it's not going to die, it's not going away, Peter says, therefore, because of that, here's how you should live. That's verse 13. It says, therefore, preparing your minds for action. I love that. It says, because of the gospel, because of all that is yours through the person of Jesus, prepare yourself for action. In other words, he says, prepare yourself for war. Prepare yourself for battle, friends. I'm here to say this. If you get one thing, I, it's sad as we, we this coming down in our last few weeks here. It's a shocking thing as I'm like reflecting on it and I'm preparing. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is actually happening. Peter, the tear fest will happen. And remember last year we talked and we weren't going to talk about it. Now we're talking about it. And if you get one thing, one thing from me, let it, let it be this, that we are at war. That the Christian life is one of war. That the minute you roll out of bed in the morning, the minute that you set your feet down on the carpet, you are at 
There is a war raging in the heavenlies. We, we know that from the text. It's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual warfare happening all around us. The minute you put your feet down on the floor, wives, there's a, there's a war over your marriage. Husband, there's a war over your relationship to your wife. There's a war over us as Christians. Prepare for action. When you walk out the door, do you view your neighbors as those enslaved to sin, those as prisoners of war? As we walk out these doors and we see the neighbors right across the street, do we, do we see them as captives and us as holding this key, this key of Jesus to set them free? We are at war. What a thought that is. That as we walk into the town of Virgenza or in San Diego, how hot is it in San Diego today? That's dumb. But as, as we walk, and as we encounter those individuals that do not know Jesus, do we believe that they are captives of war? That we are at war? What a thought that is. This is therefore preparing your minds for action. Ready yourself for war. And he says, in being sober-minded, he means think clearly. Think clearly. Know exactly what it is that you're living this life for, Christian. That we are ambassadors of Christ. We are here for a reason. We're not just put here to have a comfortable, happy little existence. We're put here to wage war. Love that. Think clearly. Know that. Whether you work at UTC designing airplanes, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you're retired, whether you're Ron... You're awesome, Ron. You're here for a reason. You're here for war. Prepare for war. And Peter goes on. He says, And set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You catch the little superlative in here? Here, he doesn't just say, doesn't just say, set your hope on the grace that's going to be yours. He doesn't just say, well, set your hope in heaven. Just, just set your hope there. He says, no, set your hope fully. It's important. He says, everything that you do, every little bit of your function of your life is, is devoted, is dedicated to what is yours in heaven. You are fully devoted to the kingdom of heaven. Your hope is fully set there. My hope needs to fully be set there. On, what does it say? The revelation of Jesus Christ, my hope is set fully on that day when I see him eye to eye. Fully. It doesn't mean that we put a little bit of our hope in heaven and we put a little bit of hope in a Supreme Court pick. It doesn't mean that we put a little bit of hope in heaven and we put a little bit in our Roth IRA. It doesn't mean we put a little bit of hope in heaven but then having a comfortable life. He doesn't say that. He says, no, fully fully on all that is going to be yours in heaven. As kingdom citizens, our hope is there. Build your hope there. I love that thought. And what a, what a thought that's going to be. Have you, have you thought about the day you behold Jesus? Ever think about that? that? That day when you take your first breath of heavenly air, however that's going to work, You breathe it in deep. There's your Savior. 
right, Everett. Good. In verse 14, Peter goes on. He says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. The Bible doesn't really pull no punches with who people, who we were before Jesus. Have you ever thought that? Like, as you read passages of Scripture, I, like, I don't know of anybody else nowadays that could actually say, hey, you were all ignorant before Jesus. I just love how he says that. He says, as obedient children. It means, as those who submit to what you've heard, those who are in submission to Christ, as obedient children, here's what your life should look like. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Do not be like what you once were. That's an interesting thought. Do not be like what you once were. I wrestled for a long time. I, I was an individual who was saved later in life. And I wrestled for a long time because I, I just wondered how great it would have been to have met Jesus at a young age and then avoided, I stupidly thought I could miss all the bad stuff. And I thought it would have been fantastic. But then I realized, well, if you're here this morning and you met Jesus at a later date, what I love about this verse is it means remember what you were like before you knew Jesus don't be like that. Change. We should be growing. Whether you've known Jesus since you were four or you met Jesus last week at 54, are you changing? Are we changing? Don't be conformed to the image and passion of your former ignorance. What you were like, you should be changing and growing. He tells us what we're going to be growing into in verse 15. He says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. What a verse that is. Prepare your minds for action. Christian, you're at war. Be obedient children. Don't be conformed to the way that you once were. Here's what you should be like. Here's the bar. Here's the standard. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy. Set apart. We know the holiness of God. There's not enough time in the course of five sermons, we even begin to explore the topic of the holiness of God. But at the base of the holiness of God is the thought of moral perfection. He's just perfectly other, perfectly set apart. I think for us as the Christian, it means to be fully set apart. Fully set apart. And notice the superlative in verse 15 again. Just like back in Verse 13, when he said hope fully on the grace. Verse 15, he says holy in, doesn't just say in some of your conduct. Don't be holy in the little interactions you have with other Christians, but then you can be however you want to be over here. He says no, fully, all of your conduct. Be holy. Be set apart. Be different. Be devoted fully to the kingdom of God. That means every economic decision, every political decision, every interaction with a co-worker, every interaction with your wife, everything is to be done from a position of holiness or the pursuit thereof. What a thought. 
in verse 16, since it is written that you shall be holy, for I am holy, coming from the mouth of God himself in Leviticus, telling his people, be holy because I'm holy. I think that holiness, if you really were to want to get a definition of what it looks like for us to be holy, would probably be found in Galatians chapter 5. Probably be the fruit of the Spirit. It's probably what it looks like for us to live a holy life. Galatians chapter 5. Let's go ahead and turn there. Good reminder as we sit here and say, okay, what does it mean then for me to be holy, for me to pursue holiness, to be set apart? In Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 22, we, we read this, Galatians 5, 22, but the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of the Spirit in your life, the evidence of, the, of you have being, having been redeemed, the evidence of that, Travis, this is what it's going to look like in your life, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. There's the bar. A little bit of an examination happens here in that text, huh? He goes on back in 1 Peter In verse 17, he says, And if you call on Him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. In other words, he's saying, if you you call God Father, if you call upon Him, if you call God Father, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. What do we do with that? What do we do with fear? What do we do with fear of God? I think oftentimes we try to offer a little explanation of it. That we say, well, there is no more fear. We don't have to fear God. It just means we kind of respect Him a little bit and, and that's okay. I don't think so. I think if you were to take a cursory read through the Old Testament, you'd find but one thing. Majority of times that the people of God met God, they fell over. They quaked. Isaiah is a perfect example of that. Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah sees God and has the biggest existential crisis in all of the Bible. Isaiah goes from being, oh, I'm, I'm Isaiah, and then woe is me, I'm undone, I've seen God. He falls down at his magnificence. Holiness. Fear. I love how Peter reminds them as they're these disciples that are in the middle of this dispersion. He says, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, reminding them, you're not of this world, people of God. You're here in exile. As you're in exile, conduct yourself in fear. I think that message is so true for us. Specifically true for us in 2018 America where the political system is just crazy and everybody's all over each other. Christian, you're exiles. You shouldn't fit in. You don't fit in. And he says, conduct yourself with fear. 
verse 18. And here's why. He's knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. He says, knowing that you were redeemed, knowing that you were saved, knowing that you were pulled out, knowing that you were brought from death to life, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. You weren't redeemed by money. You weren't redeemed by anything silly or foolish. Verse 19, you were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Here's a thought. That we are blood-bought citizens of the kingdom of heaven. While we hold high the death of Jesus, do we ever take a moment to step back and realize that Jesus, God in flesh, died for us. That His blood redeemed me? Me? Yesterday we went lawn sailing. We drove around, tried to hit some bumpy roads, make the baby come out. And a lot of my family is from Ticonderoga, Crown Point, Mariah, Port Henry. And I totally, as I was get, thinking through this sermon, when Peter uses this phrase of uh, the, the, the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, I'm like, man, I come from a long lineage of not good people. I wasn't, I'm not really a good person. Yet he bought me with his blood. What a thought. Carter, what a thought that is. The king of kings. That's how you've been redeemed. Peter would say, live like it. In verse 20, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Now catch this, you ready? He was made for, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. We know that Jesus is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, which, little side note at that point, makes the gospel plan A. The sacrifice of Jesus was always the plan. Eve didn't eat the fruit, and then God went, oh no, now what do I do? It was always the plan. But catch it. You see what Peter says? He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of who? Ah, for the sake of you. I love that thought. That Jesus, the eternal Son, the one who eternally proceedeth from the Son, the King of kings, God in flesh, all of that done because of me. And because of you. And because of them. What a thought. What a thought. In verse 21, who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. I love that Peter included that. It through him are believers in God. It's all because of Jesus, Peter says. 
That we're believers in God who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory. Why? I love how it plays out in the text. He raises Jesus from the dead, gives Jesus glory, so that our faith and hope are in God. What a thought. Let that strike you. So your hope is in God. Now flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. As we prepare ourselves for communion, as we see all that is ours in the gospel of Jesus, and then how we're to live according to what Peter writes for us. We come to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and again, this is another familiar passage that kind of has the same little deal that 1 Peter chapter 1 has. There's the first few verses we tend to read when it comes to communion, and then we avoid the the second half of it. Here's what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Starting in verse 23, Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body, which is for you. Catch that there for a moment. You had to put yourself in there. When you read that, that's not just you in some abstract sense. Read that. This is my body, which is for you, Eric, which is for you, Peter, which is for you, Travis. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We stop there. It's beautiful. There's the gospel in a nutshell. We, we see why we celebrate communion. We see why these elements are so vital and so important to us. We see that they picture the blood of Jesus, the body of Jesus, spilled and broken for us. Then Paul goes on. Verse 27. In the same way that happens in 1 Peter, all that is yours in the gospel, here's all that is yours. Now here's how your life will look, should look. Paul does the same thing. Verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned Along with the world. I love that thought. 
We take 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 and 21 together with 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and you get this astounding picture that says, church, you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Live like it. Act like it. Notice that Peter didn't give specifics here. Notice that Peter didn't go and say, well, here's your yardstick now. Well, if they watch R-rated movies, they're bad. And if they drink, they're bad. But they're clean-shaven, and they don't go to movie theaters, so they're good. Peter doesn't do that. He's not talking about legalism. He's talking about inward heart of compassion that manifests itself in outside, outward actions of compassion and love and patience. And I'll say this as as an overweight individual, he says self-control. That cuts me. Peter says this is what your life is going to look like. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11 then, as we celebrate communion, as we take of the cup, as we partake of the blood and body of Jesus, we do it in a manner after which we've inspected ourselves. I think it's good for us. I think as our culture, one of the things that uh, Dini's given me several books from this guy, Eugene Peterson, fantastic author. Thank you. And one of the things that he brings up over and over and over again is how inside of our Western culture, we're so fast. We're so, got to get from here to there. I got to come to church, and then I got to be a sermon done at 11.30, and then I got to get home because I got to do this, da-da-da-da-da. And as Christians, we don't build time for introspection where we actually examine ourselves. The posture of Scripture is one of examine yourselves, child of God. So Eric, Peter, would you come up and help with communion uh, this morning? Um, As we partake of communion, I'm going to take a moment. uh, Go ahead and pray. Take a few moments. It might feel a little awkward or strange, and that's okay. Go to the Lord. If something stewing inside of your heart, repent of it. We know if you have someone here in the church that you have an issue with, go and talk to them. Get it done with. And then let's partake of communion together. And take a moment.